Blog Talk Radio. Evolution is a fact of life in the NFL. From the way the game is played to the uniform players wear. For a century, basically, a classic football jersey used to be kind of like a sweatshirt. Football is played outdoors, so it's a cool weather game, and so you had kind of a, a cotton sweatshirt uh, with sleeves, with long sleeves. The sleeves slowly got shorter over the years, but it was basically a shirt. It wasn't a specialized piece of athletic equipment so much. It was just a shirt. In the 1980s, players began customizing their jerseys. Down in the trenches, it was survival of the tightest. If you look at side views of Jim Bird of the Giants, he would actually lace his jersey, he had laces up the side, and he would strap himself into it as almost like a corset. The tighter jersey is a competitive edge. It's all about not being any cloth to grab, uh, and it's a science, and they've taken it uh, a long way. and Sportsbeat Radio, this is Sportsbeat, a provocative, insightful, informative, and educational show that we hope will educate the sports listener to the specific of sport. With interviews, analysis, and a comprehensive look at the topics we feel will be appealing to the listener, and with that said, we're not just your average ego-filled show, but we like to think of ourselves as informative and educational radio. So why not sit back, and for the next 30 minutes or so, we hope you'll find the program informative, educational, and above all, enjoyable. And with that said and done, this is Sportsbeat, and we're coming at you live, and I'm your host, John Spooler. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this Thursday program, the 21st day of September 2023, and today uh, we are going to be talking about the history of the NFL uniform, particularly the jersey. You heard the soundbite. That's courtesy of NFL Films and the historians there uh, giving you a little bit of uh, information on the jersey. And, you know, it's interesting because people become fans of teams for a couple of reasons. One is geographics, and that is you grow up in a certain area and you are a fan of that team. If you grow up in Chicago, you'll probably be a Bears fan, although there are, I know Bears fans here in New Jersey where we do our broadcast. Uh, I know Rams fans here in New Jersey and Chargers fans. And that's usually, you know, I have a friend of mine, he's a um, service manager at a car dealership, and uh, I knew his sons pretty well growing up, and they were, he was a huge, he is a huge Green Bay Packers fan. He's born and raised in New Jersey, but he's been a Packer fan all his life, and his sons uh, are both Packer fans because of him. And he goes to Lambeau every year, you know, he's, he drives by Vince Lombardi's home when Lombardi was uh, living there in Green Bay and uh, makes kind of a vacation out of it. And his sons, you know, are into it. So generally geographical location, family, uh, you know, your dad watched the Baltimore Colts when Johnny Unitas was there, so you probably are a Colt fan. Uh, you know, they were on uh, TV quite a bit then in the uh, 60s. Uh, you know, the Packers were on with Bart Starr and Lombardi and Jim Taylor and, 
uh, Jerry Kramer and all those great names. And so you watch them, and, you know, your dad probably had it on, and they showed the Packers quite often in those days, and so you became a Packer fan. And the other reason uh, is kind of an interesting one, uh, and that is uniforms. People like a certain uniform. One of the most popular jerseys in the NFL is the Chargers powder blue jersey. Now, when they started back in 1960, they always wore the powder blue jersey as the home jersey. And then, of course, as time went on, they had dark blue, and then they had, you know, the uh, powder blue that they would switch. Now today they have three jerseys. They have actually four. They have a black one, which is actually navy blue. They have uh, the powder blue, and then they have uh, the white one uh, for the road. And, uh, you know, color. When the American Football League started back in 1960, one of the attractions to the teams was the colorful uniforms. You know, the Boston Patriots had that hiking Patriot on the helmet and the red, white, and blue, you know, and the names on the back. In the early days of uh, the AFL, they had both names, your first and last names on the jerseys. And then as time went on, they just had the back, uh, the last name on the back of the jersey. If you look at the uh, tape of the first Super Bowl, you'll notice that the Chiefs had their names emblazoned on the back of the jersey, and the Packers didn't. The NFL was always a conservative conglomeration. I like to call them the New York Giants League because the Giants are very conservative. They're very tight-lipped. You know, they don't they don't talk a lot about what's going on. Everything's internal. Um, you know, their uniforms are kind of drab. You know, they had the same ones from back in the 60s when Y.A. Tittle was there. Um, and the NFL was kind of like that. You know, their uniforms were, you know, some of the teams had the same colors uh, other than Minnesota, which stretched out to purple, you know, you, you saw basically the same things, nothing real creative. And that's really what turned people on uh, to, I think, the AFL, the colorfulness of it, the two-point conversion, you know, the, the bombs away offense. Uh, of course, there were teams that played defense. But going back to the evolution of the jersey, way back in 1920, when uh, – George Hallis was one of the founders, the longtime owner uh, and uh, coach of the Decatur Steelers, who later became the Chicago Bears. Uh, basically, it was a type of a wool sweater, a kind of a sweater-type sweatshirt, and uh, they would hand these things out. Uh, you usually worked for factories in those days, and they would hand them out to guys who wanted to play, get a few more bucks in your check. And you would play at the local park, and they didn't have numbers on them. They basically had uh, each team had some teams had the same color, and you know it was kind of a some of them had kind of a wool blend to them. It was basically a sweater. And then Hallis, who was really an innovator in those days, he came out of the University of Illinois, and uh, that's why the Bears have their colors because Illinois, uh, the Fighting Illini which is where he was a graduate from. There weren't too many players of college graduates in those days, but he was one of them. He was a running back for the uh, Fighting Illini back in the 1900s. He decided that he would uh, adorn the Bears in that color once they changed their name to the Bears, to the navy blue and orange and white that uh, his uh, alma mater had. But the football in those days was more like a rugby football. It was more like a watermelon, and it was easily fumbled. It was hard to hold. It did have laces. There wasn't very much passing in those days. So Hallis got the idea to 
Uh, and if you look at early uh, uniforms of the 20s, and you can go online and see the history of uh, any team and their uniforms, and then uh, in the NFL uh, at the uh, Hall of Fame, you can actually see some of the uniforms. There is a uniform there from the Dayton Triangles, who were one of the charter teams of, of football back in 1920, who actually had the distinction of playing the first game way back in October of 1920. And so you can see that actual uniform. It's, act, it's an actual uniform from uh, that day where the Triangles played uh, the Columbus Panhandlers. Both teams, of course, are uh, defunct. But, and some of the, some of the teams, uh, like Green Bay has a museum, and you can go in and see, you know, Bart Starr's jersey, and uh, you can see Newt Rockney's uh, jacket. You know, a lot of the teams have these historical uh, areas, much like uh, – uh, the park in uh, Yankee Stadium uh, that you can visit to, uh, you know, in the background there in the field to see all the uh, memorabilia. But um, it was basically kind of a sweatshirt. And then what he did is he sewed, uh, not stripes, but he sewed leather strips into the jerseys. He did it himself. His mother taught him how to sew. And he sewed these orange um, kind of brownish leather strips that went vertical up and down the jersey, and the purpose of it was to cradle the ball to cause friction so that you wouldn't fumble. So when you look at, uh, I believe it was 94, 1994, somewhere in there, where the NFL adapted all the throwback uniforms, if you remember, and the Bears wore theirs, uh, the navy blue with the stripes, vertical stripes like Hallis had, but they were actually stripes in it. It wasn't leather like it was in 1920. And um, you can you can see that now they didn't have numbers. Numbers came later, and you know as the league progressed, uh, the the sleeves were always long. They were always long sleeve shirts, and uh, you know that wool blend. Some of them had wool sweaters. It's hard to imagine starting in September. And September can be, you know, still a pretty warm month, humid. Uh, I can't imagine wearing that, but that's what they wore. And the numbers would come later. And then not for, you know, another 50 years would come names, and that was really a Lamar Hunt uh, invention uh, coming from him, uh, who was the owner of the American Football League in 1960. Uh, So they were far ahead of the NFL. And if you look at, uh, you know, pictures from the 40s, 50s, and even 60s, if you look at the first Super Bowl pictures, the jersey changed to a three-quarter sleeve. You know, it didn't have the full length, but it was a three-quarter. Most of the uh, jerseys, you could see the linemen particularly wearing the jerseys where the jersey came to the forearm, not quite to the wrist. Some of the players would wear short sleeves. And then, of course, as it went on, uh, probably in the late 70s or so, you started to see the mesh jerseys, and the jerseys started to become more nylon. Um, And they would have... Um, these little holes in them, and some of you may still have them. Uh, they have these little holes to uh, for for airflow. And so uh, today's jersey, which is more of a wick type temperature jersey, they've come a long way now. They actually can regulate the temperature of the body so that the players don't get overheated. Uh, it's this wick material that actually uh, processes the sweat and the heat from the body. Uh, they are solid jerseys, but uh, some of them, many of them, have a mesh panel down the ribs. And in 95, I believe it was, uh, the Denver Broncos came out, and they've had the same uniforms basically uh, 
since 96 when they uh, had Elway and they went to the successive Super Bowl champions. They had that stripe, if you remember, down uh, that ran from right under the throat all the way down the side of the jersey. They still have those, and that was a special jersey because that was a stretch material. That allowed uh, more uh, freedom in movement. It was a stretch material. And, you know, if you look and you heard the soundbite from NFL Films uh, in the opening of the show, Jim Burt, who was one of the linemen for the Giants, wore his jersey so tight that uh, it's a wonder he could breathe. And in those days, and even today, uh, you know, a lot of the defensive linemen would grab a piece of jersey, hold their bodies close to the offensive linemen, and just hold on to, to not be called for holding. And so Jim Burt was one of the guys, if you looked at his jersey, he was number 64. The 64 was spread very, very far apart because his jersey was so tight. You could not grab any part of Jim Burt's uh, jersey. And so subsequently... The jerseys on linemen changed uh, to be able to, to not be held. And then, of course, they went to short sleeves. And uh, today's jersey, of course, is a, is a combination of a lot of uh, technology, which they didn't have in the past. Uh, numbers were coming in probably somewhere in the mid-20s, so that, you know, you have to remember that most of these teams in the 20s played in local parks. So you could visibly see the player. It wasn't you weren't really in a stadium situation. That was in college football, which did have numbers, because you know teams like Georgia Tech and Minnesota and all these uh, you know Oklahoma and Texas and all these teams, uh, they would attract fifty, sixty thousand people. And so you know you wouldn't be having them in a local park. You'd be in stadiums, and so people would have to see the number. And many of them, of course, didn't have names on the jersey. And that kind of brings us to um, our segment, and I, I usually do it in the beginning of the show, but it's Ask Sportsbeat, where a lot of you write in and ask questions. And I have a question here from Rachel in Des Moines, Iowa. I know Des Moines, Iowa well. I used to drive through it on my way to my uncle's house in Nebraska. I used to spend the summers with my uh, uncle in Nebraska and my grandparents and all the family out there and drove through Des Moines. And uh, Rachel's question is, uh, who determines what color uniform players wear. Now, you didn't say specifically what league, so I assume football, but uh, basically follows all of it, Rachel. And the answer is uh, the determination is by uh, the home team. The home team decides what color. They can use white, their white uh, jerseys, or they can use their color jerseys, or today their alternate jersey. They have to give notice to the league uh, at the beginning of the week as to what they're wearing. They have to give notice to the other team as to what they're wearing in accordance to what uh, uh, the other team will bring. Most teams bring their home and away jerseys just in case there's a problem. And the person who decides what they're going to wear is the captain. The captain decides uh, that's his job. He decides what uniform they'll wear. Now, you know, it's interesting because in the National Football League, uh, there were three teams really back in the 60s all the way to the present, not so much now, that always wore white. One of them, of course, the tradition was the Dallas Cowboys, who always wear white, whether they're home or away. Very seldom they wear their blue jerseys. There's some stigma with jerseys in the sense that uh, uh, some teams that wear certain jerseys lose. And players are usually fairly superstitious. So the Cardinals, when they were in St. Louis and later in uh, Arizona when they moved, 
whenever they played Dallas, they would uh, wear their white jerseys at home and make Dallas wear the blue ones. And Dallas has lost more games with the blue jerseys than they have with the white. They just don't wear them. And then most of you who follow football who are older remember that the Cleveland Browns always wore white jerseys as well as the Rams when they were in L.A. The only time they didn't is when they played each other. So if uh, the Rams played Cleveland in Cleveland, they would have to wear their blue jerseys. Uh, And, you know, it's interesting with that because – uh, the Giants probably, I don't know, a decade ago, maybe less, used to, if those of you who remember who were Giants fans, remember the red jerseys that they had, and they've discarded those since because they always lost with them. There's a certain superstition about the jersey that you wear. Now, I'm not sure why Dallas just wears white. I guess it's just a tradition, but the Rams and the Browns did that, and now there's some teams you see it uh, doing it. Miami a lot of times wears white at home because of the heat, especially early in the season. And white uh, reflects heat rather than attracts it. So they want to have an advantage, of course, uh, you know, where the Denver Broncos will be there this week. And I assume the Broncos will probably be wearing the dark blue jerseys or the orange ones, not white, like they would normally on the road. And then jerseys changed a lot, not just in football, but actually baseball was the sport where, you know, when I grew up it was home white and road gray. The uniforms in baseball in those days were flannel. Uh, before that, they were wool, flannel-wool mixture. I can't, can't imagine wearing those in the summer. But then a guy named Charlie O'Finley came along and took the uh, Kansas City Royals to Oakland, and they became the Oakland A's, where they, uh, in Kansas City, had those sleeveless jerseys, kind of like the Pirates and the Reds had. And uh, he envisioned a difference now in, in uniforms and jerseys where he – put the A's in all kinds of colors. They had green uniforms, they had yellow, they had white. They would wear white at home. They called it polar white. They only wore those on Sunday in Oakland. And they had the green socks and they had uh, yellow socks underneath the stirrup socks and then they had white shoes. And they were, you know, looked kind of oddly upon uh, by the uh, peers and constituency of the league. And they had all these color combinations. They could wear green jerseys with yellow pants, uh, you name it, that's what they had. And then the Pirates, the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, We Are Family, if you remember, that's what they called themselves back in the early 70s when they had Stargell and all those. They came out with uh, black uniforms, white uniforms, much like the A's, and also the yellow uniforms. And they had all these combinations, you know, then the hat with the yellow stripes on it. Uh, and baseball kind of got bizarre then. And then for those of you who remember, Bill Veck, who was kind of a – eccentric owner, kind of a pioneer in a way, uh, bought the Chicago White Sox and put those uh, White Sox in turn-of-the-century uniforms. They actually had league permission to wear them. The players had shorts on with high stirrup socks, and then they had the jerseys with the high collars with uh, lace, kind of like a hockey jersey. Uh, And these guys went out and played. They were kind of laughing stock uh, of uh, sport. They didn't last too long. That was like in the mid-70s. So, you know, uniforms change. Uniforms came back. And now we see, uh, you know, that uh, every team at some point during the year in football wear their throwbacks, as do, as do other teams, uh, leagues. And, of course, the league that leads jerseys is the NBA. I think every team has about eight jerseys now. And there's a certain tradition, I think, with uniforms. You know, I, I in some ways I'm sort of in sport maybe because I'm older. I know young people aren't as much. They're more liberal with it. But 
to me, you know, when uniform gives you character. Now, the problem today is that it's all about money, and money bastardizes everything. It changes everything. You know, it's all, you know, let's have 50 jerseys for our team because everybody will go out and buy one, and so we make more money. And, you know, in a capitalistic society, you can't, can't really argue that point. That's what capitalism is. But there's a certain aura about the Boston Celtics jersey. You know, that green jersey with the white Celtics trimmed in white, the white one, you know, with Celtics trimmed in green. Now they have, you know, uh, shamrocks on them, and they have one called with, with uh, Celtics with script, and then they have Boston. They have all these jerseys that I think kind of take away from the tradition of this great team. The Montreal Canadiens, one of the uh, original teams, you know, have original uniforms. The red, white, and blue with the big C Canadian in the center with the H in the middle, Habitants. That's what it stands for in French. And uh, last year I saw them on TV. I, I saw uh, playing the Flyers, and this team had all blue on, and it was the Canadians. They had their blue uniforms on. And it looks corny to me. It's a, you know, it's anything for a buck. And you look at the Yankees, another traditional team. You look at the Cardinals, the uniform pretty much the same as it has been. Tradition. You know, you look at the uh, Yankees uh, back in the 20s, one of the most uh, respected teams in uh, sports, one of the big, biggest championship teams in sports, 26, 27 championships. And when they had Babe Ruth, their uniform was pretty much the way it is today. The road one said New York across it in, in uh, dark navy blue letters. Today, the uniform is basically the same. With uh, They have some uh, blue cuffs at the end of their sleeve, and New York still emblazoned in navy blue, but it's trimmed in white. That's the only difference. And then those iconic home uniforms, the pinstripe with the NY. And there was a lot of players uh, and a lot of people in New York that didn't like the idea of the Nike swoosh on there. Uh, as some of you may know, the licensing for jerseys is every five years. And so uh, they insist that uh, you put it in a certain place. Some, most of the time it was majestic had it. It was on the sleeves, so it wasn't so emboldened. Uh, when Adidas had it, I believe it was on the sleeves, but Nike insisted that it go on the chest, and the Yankees didn't like that, but there wasn't much they could do about it because uh, teams don't really have much say today in the bureaucracy of the world. So the uniform... Uh, you know, of the future, they're talking about a one-piece uniform, kind of like a ski uniform. Uh, the helmets have certainly changed. You know, we saw the helmet of uh, yesteryear, which was the uh, basically the uh, leather helmet, looked like a gladiator. In some ways, it protected probably very well because it came down through the forehead. It was very heavy. And for the most part, it was this uh, brown helmet, and then teams started to have color, like Giants back in the 30s had color in their uh, helmet. They had uh, blue and red. And then in the 40s, there was a running back for the Rams uh, by the name of Fred Gerke. And Fred was a, uh, a fairly good running back, and he uh, was also an art major in college. And he decided that he would take his helmet home and paint yellow ram horns on it. I don't know if we have that on our slideshow. I have it on subsequent other shows, but you can bring it up, the history of the Rams helmet, and see it. And he painted these horns on it. When he brought it to the practice the next day, the coach was very, very impressed. So he showed it to the owner, and the owner paid Gerke to paint all of the helmets uh, with the Rams horns on it. And subsequently, that started uh, the insignias on the helmet. There's only one team in the NFL that doesn't have it, and that's Cleveland. At one point, Cleveland had numbers on their helmet, 
Uh, and that's because the team is named after a person, Paul Brown, one of the uh, elite coaches uh, in the NFL. So, you know, when we look at uh, what it has become, you know, you look at the early days of football and the baggy pants and, and now the tapered uniform, you know, the fields now are, you know, uh, made of synthetic turf with tire rubber. Uh, there's some talk now uh, that uh, pressure on the National Football League to make all of the stadia's uh, grass rather than uh, the turf. We found a lot of injuries. We just saw Nick Chubb the other day have a season-ending injury. We saw Aaron Rodgers go down. Um, there's some talk about having a problem with calf issues that cause Achilles problems. And uh, Aaron Rodgers certainly had a calf problem uh, last year and uh, resulted in his uh, destruction of his Achilles. And now they're wondering about Joe Burrow, who also has uh, has aggravated his calf. If you remember, he hurt that in uh, training camp back in August. So there's some correlation between calf injury and Achilles. So we'll have to watch that carefully, whether or not uh, Joe Burrow will play this week or not. We'll have to see. I'm sure he will, but uh, there's always that chance. So, you know, the, the evolution of uh, the jersey has been one that's been, you know, uh, you know, very interesting over the years, and you can cer- certainly see it. Here's a sound bite. When the Denver Broncos unveiled a revolutionary design concept, that stripe that comes off the obliterator for Pete the Fabric, they had put stretch panels there. Eventually, the entire jersey was made of stretchy stuff. And now, we've arrived at the latest stage of jersey evolution. in the pits are showing their pits. It, it has kind of changed the way holding is called, because holding used to be that you were holding the jersey, but there's really nothing there anymore. O.T. Minora, he's basically wearing a cylinder that's somewhere between a tank top and approaching a sports bra. So now holding is really more like tackling. It's because somebody has usually gotten his arm under the other guy's arm and kind of wrestled him to the ground. Having that big cut out of your jersey, it doesn't look good, but it's effective. You got to do what you got to do. And when you're on that field, you really don't care about what people are thinking about your underarm pace. Well, maybe somebody should care. There's a certain amount of, like, overhang that occurs there. And it's, it's not a pretty sight. Well, not a pretty sight. Again, that's courtesy of NFL Films uh, on the evolution of the jersey. Uh, for those of you who are interested in, you know, the uniform part of it, and I think that's always been kind of a stigma, you know, as far as uh, people of interest. If you, uh, even though it's not the greatest town in the world, Canton, Ohio, of course, is the place where the Hall of Fame is, and uh, you can actually make appointments with some of the historians there who will be glad to talk to you about any aspect of NFL history. And uh, the uniform, of course, you'll see it, uh, as I mentioned, the Dayton Triangles uniform, the original uniform there, that wool sweater, some of the sweatshirt-type sweaters uh, that they used, uh, you know, and evolved into the modern jersey. 
and uh, you know it's interesting to see how uh, how it's happened. And then of course you know with numbers, they always used to be you know a quarterback was you know anywhere from number 19 or 17 down, and now you know we have punters uh, that have uh, you know number 30, and you know we have players now who. Uh, uh, have the number zero. We had Ken Burrow years ago, who uh, unfortunately just passed away for the Houston Oilers, uh, wore double zero. Uh, there's always that stigma uh, about wearing the number zero that uh, some players try to stay away from. So, you know, the evolution of uh, the NFL jersey, the uniform, we saw it with the Oakland A's, we saw it with the Pirates. Uh, you know, we see it now with uh, almost all teams in sports where they have several uniforms. That's really uh, because of money to be able to, uh, you know, uh, sell more. Uh, the NFL is a money-hungry league, as all leagues are, but the NFL kind of takes the cake with that. And uh, hopefully that showed you today a little bit of the uh, history of uh, the NFL uniform and uh, the history of it. So uh, hopefully you learned something today. Thanks so much for joining us on this segment of Sports Beat Radio Talk and Sports, where we were giving you the information on the history of the NFL jersey. Kind of an interesting uh, aspect of the sport and now over 100 years of play from the old days when they used to wear uh, sweatshirts and basically sweaters playing in places like Triangle Park in Dayton, Ohio, and Hegemeister Park, which still exists, so does uh, Triangle Park. It's now a baseball field, but when you walk across it, you get that sense of 100 and some years ago that men actually started the league and played in the league uh, to initiate. Sports Beat's been a presentation of Mountain Meadow Productions. And until next time, all of you have a great day and great sports. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon.